Welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast is created by Notation, a first check venture capital firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We invest in amazing technical teams on day zero. If you're starting a new company and want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital or email us at hello at notation.vc. The title sponsor for this season of Origins is Carta. This season is also supported by Silicon Valley Bank and Cooley LLP. Carta simplifies how startups and investors manage equity, track cap tables, and get valuations. They also offer fund administration, where you can see real-time data in the Carta platform and work with their team of experienced fund accountants. We've been happy customers with Carta for a few years now, and we're thrilled to have them as our title sponsor. Go to carta.com slash notation to get 10% off. Terms and conditions apply. Silicon Valley Bank is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors, with a dedicated practice for emerging managers. They've been friends and partners to Notation since the beginning. To learn more about SBB's services, visit sbb.com. Cooley LLP is the global law firm for tech, life sciences, and other high-growth industries. It's the world's most active venture capital law firm in forming funds and completing investments. We've worked with Cooley since the beginning of Notation, They've helped us form both Notation funds. We recommend them to all the startups we work with and many of our VC peers as well. Learn more about the firm and check out its dedicated site for startups and investors at CooleyGo.com. I think a great place to start, Kieran, would just be tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what brought you to Early Bird and then, and then ultimately led to thinking about starting Blue Yard. Sure. So I think if you would have told my um, college self what I would be doing today or maybe even pre-college, I would have considered it a, a considerable life failure. <laughs> um, I feel comfortable with it now. But back then, I, I never wanted to get into business or, or investing. And I was actually really interested in aviation and uh, wanted to become a pilot because I just felt that was the best way to spend time with aircraft was to fly them. I couldn't get comfortable, though, with the whole sort of committing to a, a lifetime of working for an airline. Honestly, didn't really know what to do. So I studied, studied business and economics more out of, yeah, I guess I'll find a job that way. <laughs> and in hindsight, one of my life regrets, I was much more interested and better at physics and history. And, and, and I just didn't think I could get a good job with them, which I think is a mistake. Um, and so I studied business and economics. And um while I did that, I did an internship at an investment bank called Lazard. They do mergers and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And uh, they made me an offer to, to join their team once I was finished with my with university. And I thought, great, I don't have to like work hard for my exams because I already have a job. So that's how I got into M&A. Was this, was this in Germany? Yeah, Frankfurt yeah. And, and London. Okay. Yeah, okay. it was. Yeah, so way going way back. I'm Irish, grew up in Germany. That explains the weird accent, right. accent work mainly right. with Americans. So yeah. So, and when when I was at Lazard doing M and A, which was fun, and you learn how to work hard. I mean, you were in investment banking, right? And diligently, and and late nights and weekends, and but, but you know, it wasn't me. And while I was at Lazard, we were advising a private equity firm called the Carlisle Group. And um, you know, while we were working on a project, they were like, "Hey, do you want to?" come and join us. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that sounds like fun, private equity, investing. Mm-hmm. And, and so I switched over, but also more out of curiosity. 
of course, completely different to what I'm doing today. So I think we were writing equity check sizes that may be larger than Blue Yard's assets under management ever will be uh, for a single deal. And right. it was exciting, but you know, it was 40 uh, Bain advisors and two investment banks and doing working capital uh, models at three in the morning. And uh, I, I enjoyed it, but somehow it was nagging at me that, that I didn't want to do this for, for the rest of my life. And so I left without a, an, an idea what to do. Um, this was 2009. And just toyed around, maybe starting something myself, helped some friends raise money, sort of did some interim COO gigs, not that I knew what I was doing. Um, and in that process, I stumbled into an old friend who was a venture partner at Early Bird, uh, an older European venture capital firm. And he said, well, why don't you join us, you know, build your network, uh, gather some ideas, and you can leave us and, uh, and then start your own uh, company. And I got stuck. Uh, so that's what brought me to to early bird. Are you still a pilot? No, I never. I only did some simulation things uh, and uh, and other things. But no, unfortunately, I never. I was never able to to pursue it. You are a marathoner, though. Uh, I'm a runner, and I used to do triathlons. But actually, I don't do marathons. I do half marathons oh. and ten k's. Oh. I, I I don't know. Just anything above thirty k, my mind just starts eroding for some reason. But I don't know. Maybe with older age, I shall migrate to <laughs> further distances. But, um, so, so yeah, tell us a little bit about um, Early Bird and your experience yeah. there, and and particularly, I'm curious to hear just a bit about the the European ecosystem. Yeah. Then, so, um, which I guess was now over a decade ago. Yeah. So back then, even so, nobody really knew about it, but the few people that did, it, you know, it, it really had a terrible reputation in terms of one, there are no interesting companies, and everybody back then was just pointing to Skype and MySQL. And and so there aren't any great entrepreneurs. That was the rap, and and the VCs are even worse. And um, you know some of that may even have been true. But while I started in the business, we saw something happen. So you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, you know, the the eurozone spiraled into big turmoil. Uh, obviously, the deployment of consumer internet happened, sort of democratizing where you can be an entrepreneur. And then all of a sudden, things started shifting in London and, and Berlin and elsewhere in Paris and Stockholm. And all of a sudden, you know, you could see that every year, the amount of uh, large companies being raised and the creation of ecosystems, new venture funds. And so you, you could already back then see the velocity of change. It, it didn't become obvious, though, until probably three, four years ago, until the data set was was so strong that it was undeniable that entrepreneurship had gone native in Europe. But back then, you know, in Berlin, it was just one and a half funds and uh, SoundCloud uh, as, right. as probably the, the right. And uh, and 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 so it was kind of the wild, wild west. The one thing that um, I will say is that because Berlin had no native venture fund scene, had no native big tech companies, had no native industry. It was this sort of unclaimed void. And so entrepreneurs there could really shape the city, but also they, quote unquote, had to import capital from the US because they didn't want to work with with most of the European firms. And I guess the London firms back then were very London centric. And this is actually where you and I met and where things started changing for me. So I got... Very lucky that I, I got quickly promoted to a partner and started investing. And one of my first, or actually the first investment I did in Berlin was with you in, in moped.com. 
Oh my uh, God. The I funny didn't story that is, was your first one. Yeah, wow. it was. Amazing. Um, yeah, it was. And, uh, and, and, and by the way, we'll talk about this later. We backed Skylar again in his so right. 10 years. Yeah. So eight years later, we, we, back, I, I, we backed the first entrepreneur I ever invested in. You know, so I think it was in Berlin, American founder. You had invested, I think, SV Angel, uh, yep. Lara Venture back in the days. And then, so I, I immediately was working with, with sort of U.S. seed funds. And, and then the second investment I did was uh, Wunderlist, which, you know, then went on to raise from Sequoia and Mike Moritz and got, got to work with, with them a little bit and then got acquired by Microsoft. And I was just comparing how, you know, you and I were working with Moped and with Steve Schlafman, and I'm sure you remember, and, and how it was to work with uh, Thrive Capital and Sequoia with, with Wunderlist. And then I was sort of contrasting and comparing to like other investments and board meetings that I had with sort of more European setups. And eventually the cognitive dissonance got to me. And we mm-hmm. said, we've got to change things. We've got to be, you know, we're going to survive. We're going to be a much better product for entrepreneurs. We need to get out of the nilly willing financial engineering thing and optimize for upside. You know, we need to do riskier things. You know, we, all the things that are, are obvious to U.S. firms that have been through the cycle that many times were not that obvious in Europe um, back then. And then eventually, you know, you can change an old firm so much and invest so much energy in it, but eventually it just becomes easier to start your own thing. And so Early Bird had gone on a mission to really, and I, I respect that, grow assets under management, different funds for different strategies. But my, uh, my, my Blue Yard co-founder and I, so Jason and I, we also met at our prior firm, we wanted things simple. We just wanted to be a couple of folks in a room, have small funds, you know, maximize risk at, at, at earliest stages and not have to um, worry about partner politics and assets under management and all these kind of things. And that started nagging at us. And then the second thing that started nagging at us was we wanted to stand for something and we wanted to invest in things. We would like wake up in the morning and be like, yes, you know, right. this is something yeah. we, we, we want to do. And that then led us to developing the thesis. And then eventually that led to Blue Yard, which I'm happy to talk about later. But so I, I will say that you and I working together with, with moped.com, my first investment, it did just... It was like the beginning of the end, <laughs> if you uh, well, want to frame it that way. Well, sorry to have ruined it all for you, but it seems like you've, you've landed in a pretty good spot. You know, I, I don't know if you can talk to this, but like, I'm curious from a partnership dynamic standpoint, like, you know, up until at least a month ago, there were tons of folks spinning out of firms and starting new venture firms in the United States, at least. I, I assume some yeah. of that is happening in Europe. I'm yeah. curious as maybe one of the earlier spinouts in Europe coming out of early bird and starting blue yard, how, how you just manage that kind of interpersonally and, and amongst the partnership when you and your co-founder at blue yard left. And then also well, I'm curious how you, how you manage that with LPs too. Yeah. Well, you know, there's only so many things I can talk about, but you know, those things are never easy. So we yeah. found a really constructive way we, we even work together today because Jason and I are still sort of key men and partners of the 2012 fund. So how do we treat LPs? With LPs, we said, we're going to stay on board. Uh, we're going to manage a portfolio. We're going to be part of the investment committee. We're not dropping our responsibility. Blue Yard is, you so will, our successor fund. 
right? Like most VCs, once they're a little bit older, they'll have some previous funds and current fund and hopefully successor funds. And that's the way we framed it. And the LPs got comfortable with it. But it was um, it was tough, you know, because it was a four person partnership and, and we were two. And, you know, emotions rode high, as you can expect. But we, uh, you know, have so much responsibility towards um, the money that other people have given us towards the entrepreneurs that that was a really good forcing function to find a good way to work together. And that has held up until today. And then, you know, Jason and I, if you meet us, you will, in sequence, you will probably say, well, how does that work? <laughs> because we're <laughs> polar opposite characters. Right. So in what I, I ten- uh, yeah, I, I'm like, yeah, not so interested in emotions and tend to be more analytical. I love frameworks try and you know not get, get too excited you know <laughs> and jason is like you know full-on highly emotional more gut driven however we always nearly always not always that, that would not be healthy but nearly always ended up in the same spot and so we recognize that we have very different personalities and styles but are highly philosophically aligned when it comes to the type of investments, the type of firm we want to build. Like I think sometimes that's a big mistake um, venture funds make is they can maybe agree on like sectors they want to cover and maybe stages. But are you in agreement about the type of venture firm you want to build? Right, that's much 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 harder to do. And then we also connected over just you know uh, science and astronomy and and just things like that. And so we knew. And the other thing is, frankly, we knew we could get into terrible heated arguments, but then sort of within a few minutes, um, reflect on it, move on and appreciate that we had such an intense dialogue. And so when we started Blue Yard, we knew we could always fall back on, I guess back then it was like six, seven years of just going through ups and downs. And that was that was something that, you know, we'll talk about that in a minute, but something that I think LPs really liked that we knew how to get into a fight and 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 be friends again. How I'm curious if it's changed since you started Blue Yard in um, what, 2014? We raised the fund in summer 15, but then we okay. started it in January 16. So Okay, so I, I'm curious how how the firm has evolved in that time, but how did you both pitch and describe Blue Yard when you were when you were first starting out? So I think we always said there are three or four pillars. Pillar one is Jason and I been through hell and back together, highly aligned in terms of our style of investing, type of investments, uh, and firm building. And so you know that was that, and and something really important to us because we just didn't want to go through sort of a, trying to create a sort of a casted. I get back in those days, for sure, boy band, hopefully now with more diversity. The second thing is, is that, you know, we, we had an investment track record. It was it was low on DPI because we were so, uh, you know, the average maturity was was still pretty young, but it was it had a pretty good. Actually, it wasn't. It was like maybe half DPI for, for a three mm-hmm. or four year old fund. So that was OK. But IRR money multiple was solid. So we said we don't think we're bad investors. We have to prove we're, we're really good investors, but we're not like it looks like we know how to do this and we have some good syndicates. But then the third one was really the thesis and what was about to change in Europe. And so Jason and I, I remember we had this moment in uh, Austin Airport when we were there uh, raising money. And you can guess, you know, somebody that was on your show just a few a few weeks ago, I guess. And we had realized that the thing that we're most passionate about is 
democratization. So democratizing capabilities through technology, you know, opening up markets and this the sense around democratization really rang true to us. And, and we realized we were, it was about to happen in the web and in many industries. And then the second thing is, is that we had pitched that Europe was going to change from, frankly, copying American companies and trying to sell them back to them and being really focused on, on regional plays to much more ambitious, uh, unique companies, disruptive. And those entrepreneurs wouldn't want to work with the traditional European venture brands that had sort of been binge drinking on copycats and e-commerce and, and maybe hadn't treated entrepreneurs well. So what if we created a firm that was thesis driven, stood for something and was focused on sort of the things that were pretty uh, wacky and crazy compared to what Europe used to do? And I think a, a not um, unimportant part of the pitch was is we never want to get into the assets under management game. We mm -hmm. never want to get big for the sake of it. We always want to stay small, always want to stay focused on late seed. And, and we published it. So we're never, like, we never want to go right. away from this. We're never going to do anything else. And also, if Blue Yard isn't like, we may shut Blue Yard down after two, three, four funds. What do I know? Like, we're not building an empire. And so I think that that, that, that was what we were pitching. And I can, I can tell you in a minute how that went with different people. And there's a very funny Europe versus U.S. story to that also. Yeah. So, so let's go there. I mean, ha I'm curious how you kind of approach. I mean, you had some experience raising funds via yeah. uh, early bird, but I'm curious how you approach the process. And also, this is kind of getting into the weeds, but I, uh, often there will be some, as part of leaving a previous firm, there'll be some negotiation around not like going to pitch the same LPs. So I'm, I'm yeah. curious how you kind of approach that process. Yeah. So we definitely didn't pitch the LPs of our prior firm. There was no real agreement, but just out of respect and we didn't want to uh, cause extra drama. However, yeah. to, to the sense that we got approached, which we did, we didn't turn people away. Okay. And so we, we just said, we're just going to go for it. Like we didn't have a great big plan or anything. We had a crappy, I don't think we even had a slide deck until the very end. We had a memo that we wrote for ourselves that we then sort of, if people asked for something, we said, we don't really have anything, but here's a memo that we've written for ourselves. Um, and that was what kind of like a, almost like a business plan or overview. Uh, no, it was more like, why are we doing this? Game plan. Uh, yeah. The, the, a lot on the thesis, why it matters, our philosophy, like our agreement on how we want to invest, how we want to work with entrepreneurs, how we want to build a firm. And so like we had to write all of this down because we had to make sure that we are actually in full alignment on the details. And then we, we said we will be shared. So here's the thing. We then said, OK, let's let's pitch this in Europe because, geez, the top tier USLPs, these two clowns starting off, <laughs> why would we get any money? Um, right. And so we pitched three three pretty well-known, high-profile European LPs. The first one said they don't believe in, in European venture capital and entrepreneurship, and they only invest in the U.S. Wow. The, wow. Second, okay. yeah, the second said that they thought our thesis-driven approach was a bit thin. Um, and the third said that they would never back just two people. So mm. well, our decline rate was, was 100%. Hmm. Did you walk we, away from those thinking like, shit, this might not happen? Or, I mean, uh, were, we were, just, no, we were, we were, we were prepared for this to take a long time and for us okay. to have to talk to a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. In any case, we said, look, we were very fortunate to have had a working relationship with some of the 
better U.S. funds that we really liked and admired. And so when when they heard uh, that we were raising Blue Yard, they said, you should definitely come over, A, sit down with us, we'll compare notes and see, you know, you can learn something from us. But secondly, you know, pitch some of our LPs, see what happens. And uh, I, I, I think the person, I, I hope he's okay with me mentioning it, but Brad Burnham uh, was was an incredible, not just a hey, friend, USB. but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but also a mentor in terms of, uh, I, I remember me, I think writing Brad and saying, Brad, pretty excited. I have the blue narrative and story together. I'd love to run it by you again. I'll be in New York. And he said, no, I don't want to hear it, but I'm going to invite one of my LPs. You could pitch him. <laughs> and awesome. um, and to, to my shock and surprise, we got a really good reaction. Like, okay, mm. this is different. We got laughed at in Europe. Okay, mm. let's go to somebody else. And frankly, so this was summer 2015. Other European funds had began touring the U.S. and kind of waking up U.S. LPs, and in particular on the East Coast and uh, and maybe also sort of in, in the middle, U.S. LPs had kind of really looked at the data coming out of Europe and saying, you know what, um, I, I maybe time for us to, to make a bet. So we were probably also very lucky with our timing. But mm. then we focused on one LPs where we were able to get great references through the funds we, we had a working relationship with. And, and then secondly, those that really make a point out of backing emerging managers. So we mainly pitched LPs that were in the business of, you know, making funds happen and putting people in business. And mm-hmm. we got a, an epic, I mean, Blueyard One was such an incredible, fortunate constellation of lots of support and help, good timing and yada, yada, that we, in, in very short order, were able to build up an incredible LP base that until today is a really important backbone of how we operate. And it's actually 97% US and 3% wow. Israel. So we don't have a wow. single European LP wow. except, you know, like an entrepreneur friend or whatever. So I don't know if that says something good or bad about Blue Yard, but like when we raised Blue Yard 1, we could not raise money in Europe. Mm. And Blue Yard 1 was 100 million? Am I remembering that? 120. Correctly? 120. I'm curious since you raised that. I mean, there, there's been, I, it sounds like, it seems like just like an explosion. I mean, similar, I guess, to the US, just an explosion of new companies and entrepreneurs and not just Berlin, but, you know, London and across Europe. I'm, I'm curious. I, I imagine that happened probably even quicker than, than you maybe expected. But I'm curious to hear, you know, fast forward three or four years, kind of how you guys look at the European market broadly and and, and how that's changed in the last few years. And yeah. particularly, you know, how, how that informs your strategy. Yeah. So I think Europe has changed significantly, but also Blue Yard changed in ways that we didn't fully foresee. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we went to the starting line with this thesis of, after some wordsmithing of, essentially we invest in in decentralization and then the empowerment of the individual or smaller economic units so leveling the playing field and when we in addition to wanting to back sort of europe's most wackiest things um when we started off frankly speaking we were a little bit too early with our thesis and approach in europe we were like, great, here we are, let's go. And then it was like crickets. <laughs> and so we had a really awkward first couple of months where we ended up doing some great investments that we care about deeply, 
but we realized maybe we, we were a little bit ahead of where the ecosystem was. We were mm. seeing it all in the like pre-seed, very early seed. We were seeing scientists spin out and engineers and product people, but it, it just wasn't yet the volume yet that we could really work with, uh, mm. with our fund size. And, and in particular in Berlin. And, and by the way, Blue Yard was always from the get-go, will invest anywhere with a focus on Europe and never we're going to double down on Berlin, but it was an important part okay. of our story. And what percent what of ha- your investments today are Berlin, you think? Um, not much more than 20%. Okay. But, but that's, okay. A, that's okay because you know our coverage really is all of Europe and, and also the US on certain topics. Right. And so right. actually 20% puts Berlin at the top spot in terms of like single city, maybe after the Bay Area. But, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, we're, we're not finding interesting things there. Right. But, and I so imagine what, one of the one of the advantages in being thesis driven and being so deep in specific topic areas is that to a certain degree, you know, you're geographic agnostic to a certain degree. Yeah, we are. Of course, we always ask ourselves around adverse selection and why are we at the table and this yeah. certain thing, yeah. right? So, so for, we, we're, for sure, we don't we don't think we're better or smarter than we are. But if for the right opportunity and the right constellation, we'll, we'll invest uh, yeah. really anywhere. And so, yeah. so far, it's been you know further south is Buenos Aires, where I think we're co-investors. Furthest west is Palo Alto. Furthest north is Reykjavik. <laughs> Furthest mm-hmm. east is Bratislava, and so kind of everything in between. Yeah. Now, what happened in the in the first one or two years of Blue Yard is is that crypto really took off, and Web three really took off in, yeah. in terms of attention and talent and capital. The first company we invested in was a it or well, not was is a company called Protocol Labs. They make a series of next generation decentralized web protocols like IPFS and, and LibP2P. And uh, they then also launched Filecoin and we did a couple of investments that sort of had some like brand recognition in the space. And all of a sudden, people thought we knew what we were doing in crypto and Web3. And it, of course, was sort of home run fit with our decentralization thesis. So we really got dragged in, and I mean this in in like a positive way, fully into the space for like the first one and a half years of of Blue Yard, we were uh, really trying to figure out the components of a more decentralized web stack and the separation of state money and, and institutions. And our brand nearly got a little bit hijacked by it. And I think back then, mm-hmm. if you would ask people, what is Blue Yard? They would say it's a crypto fund instead of a yeah. fund. For I mean, we, 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 yeah, I mean, we, we've experienced something similar. With yeah, yeah. And yeah. are like, you know, coming Through back my... from the brink now, but yeah. Yeah. And we felt really comfortable and really uncomfortable at the same time because right. our mission yeah. was always technology agnostic. We invest in decentralization and empowerment. Fast forward to today, synthetic biology, deep engineering with fusion reactors, right? Like we, we've, we've really turned a corner, but back then th- that's really, so, and, and long-winded way of saying you can't invest in crypto locally. Makes no sense. Yep. And so that really dragged us into, you know, Buenos Aires and Mexico City and Palo Alto and, and, and New York. And so, so that also set the tone for, you know what, in certain areas where we feel comfortable, we feel like we have a strong profile, we'll invest anywhere. So fast forward maybe a bit to today, how, how has that evolved? So we're, we still have the same thesis, decentralization and empowerment is technology agnostic. If we look in the rear view mirror and try and create buckets, it, it really is sort of four things. So one is 
a new internet stack, so creating a much more resilient, decentralized, less vulnerable, more open version of, of the web. And I, if we talk about the current crises, I think if we come out the other side, we're going to maybe appreciate that more than, than less. The, the second thing is a more resilient and open backbone for financial liberty. So the separation of state money and banks, so classic cryptocurrency, but also peer-to-peer -peer, uh, networks. The third is untangling software monopolies, not through, through crypto or peer-to-peer, -peer, but by providing much better vertical uh, best-in-class products. So I don't know, maybe Pitch in Berlin is a good example going up against PowerPoint and Keynote because most of the software we use on a daily basis, with the exception of people in the tech scene, is still from the 80s and 90s. And they look like it, right? And so we're trying to invest in best-in-class verticals. And then the last one, and this has been by far the quickest growing and the, and, the, and, and the area that has changed us the most as a team and years and years of painful learning is nature as a technology. And actually, in our first memo we ever wrote about Blueyard mm -hmm. in su summer 2015, we already said we are going to invest in the future of science and biology untangling, and it's going to be more like computation and protocols, and you're going to be able right. to build things. It took us three and a half years of learning, making mistakes, saying no to get comfortable, hired a biologist, also hired an aerospace engineer because you know, we do things in materials and advanced lasers and these kind of things. And so nature as a technology itself has the potential to massively untangle how existing markets work, especially around health and, and material and other things, but also to create entirely new markets. And so I think today Blue Art is a much broader firm and sort of that like focus also has brought us back more to Europe because Europe has a really strong historic R&D backbone, lots of big institutes and hospitals around biology. It's just that in the past, they never ended up being entrepreneurs. And now a whole bunch of these people are becoming entrepreneurs. And so that is, you know, fast forward to geographic split, Blue Yard 2, we're expecting to be much more Europe versus Blue Yard 1 was mm. pretty heavy on the US. So talk, talk to me about how you've evolved your team, because you mentioned hiring a biologist and um, a material scientist. How, how have you thought about you know, I think you started where, you know, it's just me and Jason with just us yeah. in a room. Like, how, yeah. how do you think about managing, you know, and, and, and growing a larger team to suit your kind of like ever evolving yeah. and growing strategies? Yeah. So we, um, I think we failed a little bit in staying very small. We had always, we always wanted to have like the minimal viable venture organization just because a we didn't want to have to manage a firm in addition to working with our entrepreneurs and, and, mm -hmm. and investing in investments, but also I, I can't speak for Jason, but I, I would I think I'm probably not a good manager, right? And probably not good at giving people structured tasks and regular feedback mm -hmm. and everything else. So you know, having a really small organization limits the damage you can do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, yeah. And and so we were also, I think, very honest with, I'll get to the people that joined us. We said, look, Blue Yard is a highly unstructured work environment. If you need us to tell you what to do, uh, you know, like you're not going to have any fun. This is a place where you can explore your curiosity. We'll give you access to resources, show us things that we're not even thinking of. And if you're excited about that, welcome to the team. If not, like we're, we're not the right place for you. So we had always thought that maybe it would just be 
Jason and I, we did want to expand the partnership, so far haven't succeeded. And maybe that's a good segue later into why we kept at Blue Year 2 the same fund size. But we always thought we'd have maybe one or two analysts. We didn't want to have a career path, or, or we don't until today, because we, we don't want people doing deals to get promoted, and we didn't want to manage like internal politics. Mm. And then maybe one finance person. Today, we're a little bit bigger, but not much bigger. However, we've hired, for example, a head of platform and services just so we can sort of pick our battles where we can really help our founders have somebody orchestrate that, not have Jason and I be bottlenecks for entrepreneurs and and the other way around. We have an incredible CFO that really helps us do all of the structuring and docs and frees up time. So Jason and I kind of learned like, hey, you know what? A, we have a management fee and, you know, it, it's not designed to, to sort of maximize our salary, but it's designed to maximize the resources that allow you to generate uh, returns for your LPs. So we need to leverage ourselves. So we got comfortable with hiring smart people that are showing us things that we aren't looking at. But because um, Jason has an operator background and I'm sort of a theoretical economist, it was obvious that they, they shouldn't be that, but be something else. And that led us to, for example, uh, hiring a neuroscientist and a biologist and an aerospace right. engineer and a CS grad. And so that that's the investment team right now. We're, we're five. Booyard two or, or Booyard three, we, we always felt with Booyard, we are comfortable with our fund size and for our strategy. We are uncomfortable with the dollar per GP. Just pretty high, sixty million for an earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, and we enjoy other people and input. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. but because we were so through so many motions and in, in other partnerships, you know, we said, look, we really have to have worked with somebody for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ha- have to have been through ups and downs. And if we can't find the right person, either we'll just eventually shut down Blue Yard if we just can't, uh, w- you know, work it anymore. Or, you know, we'll just uh, keep the fund sizes small. And so with Booyard 2, it was before we even thought about it, the notion of adding any more dollars was uh, was never on the table just because we felt, you know, we were already stretching it with a dollar per GP ratio. I want to get to uh, just, just one last technical question, you know, because this comes up a lot on our podcast and other venture circles. We did a podcast about portfolio construction recently i'm just curious roughly you know how you think about that and how that's evolved over over the course of the first two funds um so the first fund if you look at the averages it's pretty much exactly what we wanted to do so i guess something like our average investment is like 2.5 or 2.7 for a shareholding of 17 point something on average we have tw- we made 24 investments uh, we you know we had wanted to do roughly 25 20 to 30 however averages are deceiving <laughs> and if you look at the median and the standard deviation the one thing we regret is not deviating to smaller opportunities where we're just backing a team and idea and i think that's something that bluyard still does but where we said oh th- this opportunity is so special and we really want to do it. And look, we're just going to have to like fork up 2.x, our usual ticket, accept a lower shareholding. We, we never chip into bigger rounds. That's not it. But but just we would be leading a pretty, for, for us, pretty meaty round. And in hindsight, I think we have more regrets doing that than not. Because for a, a fund manager focused on early stages, I don't have to tell you that options, the amount of options matter a lot. 
And just because you're investing in Series A, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's that much less riskier than a late mm, seed investment. Yeah. And that Series A investment might even be three to four seed opportunities. And so yep. with Booyard 2, one of the things we, we said is like 25 to 30 uh, investments is better than 20 to 25. And keeping the average the same, but having a lower standard deviation in how we deploy tickets, that, that's something we want to do. We have failed miserably in the first nine months of okay. the fund. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, we every time we gave ourselves a hard time. So I'm hoping that as it rolls out, we'll, we'll sort of come back to where we want it to be. Okay. So you're, you're nine months into, into Blue Yard 2, and the environment today obviously looks a lot different than, uh, than it did even maybe a month ago. I'm curious how the hell you're, you're managing through it. And um, things that you're maybe doing similarly or or different, and 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 also, you know, I, I obviously we have a U.S. perspective, but also curious um, just to understand yeah. how the European ecosystem has has reacted. Yeah, and just to well, be clear, because this is recorded for some time in the future, we're talking about obviously the impact of coronavirus on the you know the health system. March twenty seventh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mark this. Mark this date. Yeah. First of all, you know, I, I consider ourselves to be in a very fortunate position. Sort of one, everybody's healthy. Two, you know, we have this recurring revenue model and get to be involved in like a multitude of economic options through our portfolio. And so I, I, I feel like I'm very concerned about the world afterwards and the economic impact and the geopolitical uh, impact and actually the, the local politics. But I, Blue Yard is not complaining because yeah. I, I just think there are there are other people that you know will really suffer through this. We put out two term sheets during the the initial meltdown and and one of them before and we're not changing an iota. So we're we're not an opportunistic firm. And if you think about how long it takes to build a reputation, we're sticking to them and closing them and, and not changing anything. We are also because the, we we had only done a single investment until you know a few weeks ago. The fund is something like well, I don't know ninety ninety eight percent undrawn. So okay. we yeah, so we have so you're at the very beginning of, of Blue Yard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know everybody says this, but like we're truly in business, and we're very fortunate to have a really high quality, stable LP base. So I I don't think as of today, knock on wood, we need to think about uh, LP defaults. However, I think we're only at the very beginning of learning about all of the impacts afterwards. And and I I think in particular how things in the U.S. are going to play out versus in Europe will really determine the long-term economic and geopolitical impact. So we're also, we're not changing our cadence artificially, but we're acknowledging that over the next couple of months, we are going to learn a lot and the first measure we've taken is besides obviously going through a portfolio, identifying risk candidates, working with them, trying to extend runway, you know, the, the usual stuff, is let's just assume Blue Yard 2 will have a longer investment period um, because Blue Yard 1 may, not, may suffer from this and may not show the traction we had hoped. And even if Blue Yard 2 might be investing in, in a good, quote unquote, good environment, if you can even call it that for venture funds with maybe lower valuations, 
you know, things may, you know, there may not be a lot of up rounds or exits or whatever else. So who knows what it looks like in two, three years. So if we assume, well, let's just say we have a five-year investment period, it means we'll roughly do around, you know, maybe more four investments a year or four to five Mm -hmm. than six to seven. Is this one of the four we want to do this year? And we're just asking, we're forcing ourselves to ask that question. We've had two come up where we say, you know what, this is like super cool, super neat. And we're all like excited about it. This is not one of the four we, we need to do this year. So th- that, that's something we've just like created a little mental hack. But what we are not doing is hitting a giant pause button and saying, hey, we're, we're just going to say we're in the market, but we're actually not and just observe things for a quarter. That's not what we're doing. How do you think the, the larger European ecosystem specifically will react or be affected? It would be very similar to the U.S. in terms of the impact on the tech scene. Uh, everything that is sort of discretionary spending, anything that is based on outdoor activities, be it e-scooters to events, is obviously going to go through a very unfortunate. Any company that is high and dry in terms of unit economics and needing to you know, fuel a flywheel, I mean, that's been going out of fashion the last, you know, I guess, I guess since the uh, WeWork mm-hmm. I, but but I think it, it's not now. It's not just out of fashion. <laughs> it just isn't going to yeah, compute anymore. Right. Yeah. But I think people focusing on fundamental new technologies, really breakthrough science, or you know, uh, a soft. You know, there, there's always a place for a better, faster, cheaper. <laughs> and if you're going to help companies be better, faster, cheaper on the software side and everything, I think you'll you'll get funded. It just may not be the the size of rounds and valuations. I do think that, you know, the European e-commerce, well, maybe not e-commerce that much, but a lot of the commerce things will obviously uh, suffer. Maybe, um, you know, one of the quote-unquote dirty secrets of European venture capital, although it is really changing significantly, is that a lot of it is state-funded. Um, and states either may decide to double down on venture mm-hmm. as like a new economy, or they may decide to not do so much to bail out industrial companies. So I think we're still waiting for waiting for it to happen. But I think that, you know, people that are sort of really trying to do fundamental things um, that aren't discretionary lux- luxuries, you know, uh, there's so much dry capital in the market. And those things will be needed and wanted by the market over the next couple of years that I, I still think good, good things can still happen. Kieran, two, two more questions, and then I will let you go. It's, uh, I don't know, six hours later for you, so I appreciate you doing this at the end of the day on a Friday, too. First question, actually, is from Paul, uh, Highlight, talk show Paul. I called him Highlight mm-hmm. Paul because I know him from back in the day when he made Highlight. But what's an interesting portfolio company of yours that not too many people know about? Not too many people know that. Yeah, we, we tend to be pretty quiet and shy and even some don't announce a lot of up rounds also until the timing is right. Let me, uh, maybe Bitbio in Cambridge in the UK. So they have a technology that allows you to program stem cells. So hmm. you can take a stem cell and then differentiate it by very, very crude into any kind of other cell. Right. And if you can make that scalable and cost effective, you can create an animal-free food economy. You can create an animal-free materials economy. You can create entirely new cell therapies. And it's at the intersection of wet biology, but a highly programmatic approach. And it's an enabling platform for multiple industries. And so maybe that's a 
one that not a lot of people know about, but behind the scenes is really doing some incredible things that the, the public will know about, I think, pretty soon. So maybe yeah, I have to looks pick fascinating. One to that one. Good cool. Future of Blue Yard. I can guess what your answer is, but I'm curious, and we've talked about it a little bit, but I'm curious how you you know, either think about Blue Yard as a firm or, or even you personally, as you think about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, or even beyond Blue Yard. Yeah, so um, if there's one consistent thing at Blue Yard, it's we say, hey, you know, we're never going to do this. And then two or three years later, we, we do that. <laughs> uh, so we are really bad at predicting what we're going to do. So I think we are going to double down on investing in things. We, we're just at the cusp of barely understanding today that are really racking our brain. That's what got us into quantum control chips and fusion mm. reactors and synthetic biology. And so I, I, I expect that new windows are going to open that are going to go our minds. The second thing is, is that I think we're going to stay a small boutique venture capital firm. We love that. We don't want to change it. And then thirdly, we're human beings. We're a small show. We want to have some fun. And if we're not having fun or we feel like we're just, you know, burning a wallet, uh, burning a hole in our LP's uh, wallet, we're going to go shut it down and do something else. And so I hope that we maintain that level of, of honesty amongst ourselves and can say, you know what, we tried this three or four funds and it, maybe it's good, but we're not having any fun. Let's move on. Let's do something mm -hmm. else. And then the other thing is I'm very, very excited to see some of the things you and I have been working on, in particular in crypto and decentralized web and also in synthetic biology, they're going to really have their showtime over the next uh, one to three years. And it, I'm just gonna really, really curious to see how that goes yeah. be because yeah. we're running out of excuses for things not to work and yeah. the, the markets are heading their way and a lot of big things are launching. And so for me, this is like intellectually very rewarding that we'll be able to see a lot of things out in the wild. Great reminder to actually try to enjoy this work. Um, in addition to certainly searching for the next great thing. Kieran, I've seriously, personally, just really admired how you've built Blue Yard in the last uh, few years. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's something to aspire to for us at Notation. I really appreciate you doing this. And I hear your, I hear your, I think I hear your little <laughs> child yeah. in the back screaming for you. Yeah, my, so my, my daughter, my, my, yes. my daughter does is not loving this and um, she, got, <laughs> she, she got a new uh, table today and so she's busy feeding all of her toy animals oh, and fantastic. she wants me to go and and feed them with her okay. so uh we should probably end this or i'll, I'll right. yell that much more hey but nick uh, you go do yeah, that thank you so much yeah really and uh, and it. and uh nick thank you for planting that seed eight years ago i really mean it um it's not just talk and uh it's it's so much fun to know somebody and have gone through this market for the last eight years and uh you know hopefully we have another eight years in us <laughs> i hope so i hope so have a great okay. weekend thanks again yeah. so much, Karen. stay safe over there take care bye this podcast was created by notation notation is a first check venture capital firm in new york we work with technical founding teams from day zero notation companies are always hiring check out jobs.notation.vc you can also find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Thanks to Carta for being our title sponsor. I'm 
I'm sure you're familiar with Carta. Carta changed the way private companies manage their cap tables and 409A valuations. Companies and venture firms like Robinhood, Flexport, and USV use Carta to manage billions of dollars in equity. Carta also offers fund administration services for investors now. We use Carta at Notation and recommend it to all our companies. Save time running your back office with Carta. Get 10% off at carta.com notation. Terms and conditions apply. We'd also like to thank Silicon Valley Bank. SVB is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors. Their experts help innovators, enterprises, and investors move their bold ideas forward. Tap into the experience and connections of the SVB team for advice on strategic, operational, and tactical issues and limited partner insights. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC. Thanks to Cooley for sponsoring this episode. Cooley LLP is the global law firm for tech, life sciences, and other high-growth industries. It is the world's most active venture capital law firm in forming funds and completing investments. At Notation, we love working with Cooley and recommend them to all the companies we work with. Learn more about the firm at Cooley.com and check out its dedicated site for startups and investors, CooleyGo.com. If you like this episode, please share and remember to tag it with hashtag OpenLP. 